0: talking today about the importance of church fellowship, the importance of church fellowship. Matthew 16 and 18. 16 uh, verse 15 says he saith unto them but whom say ye that i am simon peter answered and said thou art the christ the son of the living god jesus answered and said unto him blessed art thou simon bar jonah for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but my father which is in heaven and i say also unto thee that thou art peter and upon this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. We're talking today about the importance of church fellowship. It, Jesus gives the promise in verse number 18 that he will build his church. That he will build his church. Um. The church is important in the life of the believer. It is incredibly important to get to know Jesus through the fellowship um, with other believers through the church. And the statement that you have on your sheet here, the intro statement, we get to know Jesus through fellowship with other believers. Um, we're going to be looking at this particular topic uh, for the next week or two. Um, There seems to be a very large group of people nowadays who essentially are comfortable in their own beliefs, um, Christian beliefs, and their background. And they don't necessarily think that church attendance is all that important. Um, There was an article in Christianity Today... And the title of it was um, it was a survey in the United States concerning white Southern evangelicals who were leaving the church and they had um there were several things that that they were discussing on why this was happening right so typically in the United States, the area of the United States that is the most dedicated as Christianity goes, is the southeast part of the United States, right? That's known as the Bible Belt. Um, When you go door knocking down there, of course, that's where we were trained in that area. Everybody's saved. They say that they're saved. They're not necessarily born again, but everybody has a history, typically, of going to church, of having been to Sunday school. They know about Jesus. They know about the Bible. They're typically a Baptist, Southern Baptist, Church of Christ, Pentecostal. There's not a lot of, uh, more of the, kind of the, the Protestant side as far as Lutheran and Methodist and that. It's more of kind of the other side, right? Um, but what's happened in the last five years or so, there are many, many, many of these, uh, of people in this particular area where the survey was done they still claim essentially the same beliefs, but they just don't go to church anymore. And so, in this detailed study that was done, they were basically asking what's the difference between those who go to church and those who don't? Like, what are the practical differences between their doctrinal beliefs? Were the same, at least on paper. They still believed in God, they still um, believed in Christianity to some degree. They still seem to try to live out their beliefs to a degree in their personal lives. Um, but there were several things that the difference between, um, I'll just kind of basically talk about, and by the way, their politics were the same too. The politics for those who were going to church as well as those who weren't going to church. The politics were the same. So in their personal lives what what to what several things were were different. Well, those who claimed to basically say I'm a Christian I still believe I just don't go to church anymore versus those who were actively involved in a, a regular att- regularly attending a church. The ones who did not were engaged in premarital sex. They didn't necessarily whether they saw anything wrong with it or not, it just the behavior changed, right? So if they had a girlfriend, they'd live together, they'd sleep together, so on and so forth. And that's what appeared on this survey. So one, premarital sex. The other one is they seem to engage in marijuana use, whereas those who went to church did not engage in marijuana use. Other things, those are the biggest particular things. Um, they still identify as Protestant Christians. They still call themselves, quote, evangelical. Um, their understanding of evangelical Protestant Christianity has taken away most of the grace and left behind a deeply suspicious individualism where law and order and self-defense are paramount. This strong individualism is apparent in areas where they most clearly differ from their church-going counterparts. um In response to the question, would you say most of the time people try to be helpful or that they were mostly just looking out for themselves? 58% said the latter. Um, and I'll explain this in just a moment. The response from white Southern Protestants who attended church every week. Basically, this survey was done by these particular denominations wondering why are all these people, have, have they, why have they stopped coming to church and what in their life is different or what's the same? Right, so the denomination is the one that did the survey. Um, 62% of those who attend church every week said that most people would, quote, try to be fair rather than take advantage of them. And 57% said that most of the time people, quote, try to be helpful. Those who attended church weekly were also more likely to vote than those who hardly ever attended. It seems therefore then that white southerners stop attending church. They don't lose the church's political conservatism, meaning they continue to vote the same way or the moralism or event individualism. Instead, they become hyper individualistic, strongly devoted to law and order and overwhelmingly politically conservative. So basically what it, it, it says that they are strongly cynical and distrustful of others if they stop going to church. So their basic beliefs are the same. They're more sexually free in their minds. They drink and use marijuana, according to this study and but basically how how do their viewpoints differ like what is the, what makes the difference other than these other behaviors well they are strongly individualistic they are cynical and distrustful of others you know how i interpret that angry and lonely okay so this is just one survey i know we don't live in the south this is just one article that in a survey that has talked about the difference between those who used to go and those who, who continue to go. It's important for us to know as believers, why do we go to church when there are so many people who claim to be good people and probably in most cases are decent people who resolutely say, why do not need to go to church or I stop doing that? whether it's something that they chose to do because of some painful event in their life, or whether it's something that they just kind of fell out of because they decided to take a shift at work and they decided to to go to that birthday party and they decided to go on vacation and then basically one thing leads up to another thing, leads up to another thing, leads up to another thing, and before they know it, it's been five and a half months before they've been to church, then they go, and then it's another seven and a half months and so on and so forth, and it just becomes a pattern whether it's something they chose not to do or something that just kind of fell out. We need to know, why do we take the time to come? Now, some of you, uh, I would say all of us have a reason in our minds, but we're just gonna take the time and just look briefly. Of course, we know the Lord commands it and that's very important. But there are some important uh, and um, some practical things that we can look at. Getting to know Jesus through the fellowship with other believers John 13:34 and 35 say, "A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have one to another." Now I'm going to give you some anecdotal evidence, just life experience. I have never seen someone who claimed to be a Christian, who didn't go to church and let me say that again. I have never seen someone who claimed to be a Christian who did not go to church successfully pass on the faith to their children. My wife's head is nodding vigorously. Let me say that one more time. I have never seen someone who claimed to know Christ as their savior, claimed to know the Bible, grew up in church, knows the truth they know the basic parameters of christianity you ask them a doctrinal question they're going to be able to give you the answer maybe not necessarily the scripture reference they're going to give you the right answer but for some reason they fell out of church they got married their spouse may even be a christian i have never seen nor heard of a story of someone who claimed to be a believer in christ but did not regularly go to church. I've never seen them able to pass on the faith to their children, never, never, never. I'm saying this for a reason, a lot of single people in the room, okay? There's a a lot of pressure to get out of church. There's a lot of temptation and not bad things. I'm going to go for a hike with my friends. You're not committing this humongous, horrible, wicked, terrible sin. It's subtle. It's very subtle. It's very, very subtle. You're not going to some orgy where you're just getting drunk and doing all kinds of God knows what. We're not talking about that. But that individual gets gets married, maybe to a Christian, maybe not to a Christian, maybe to someone like themselves who claims to be a Christian but doesn't actively follow, okay? And then they have kids. Those kids most likely will die and go to hell. Most likely will die and go to hell. Educated, college educated, probably a pretty decent job, maybe decent people, most likely die and go to hell. Why? Because... Your destiny and purpose is found through the local church. Now, destiny is not a Bible word, okay? But God's plan for your life. The local church is God's chosen vehicle for the making and maturing of disciples in Christ. You, let me just make this personal. You all do something for my children that I cannot do. Yeah, I know. You've been to Bible college. You teach Bible college. I know. The local church does something for us as believers that we cannot do for ourselves. I am not the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. If my children want to see Jesus alive in action on this earth, They need to go to a local church where everybody obeys the Lord, uses their gift. They get to see him in your smile. They get to see him in your hugs. They get to see him in the acceptance. They get to see him in the forgiveness of a fault. They get to see him in we're going to stand on doctrine. They get to see him in the praise as we worship together. Now, of course, I'm making this very personal, but it is personal 1 John 1, 6 and 7, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. Notice there is a triangle here of fellowship. Fellowship with God also includes fellowship with you all. Well, I can worship God on my own. That's partially true, but we do not fully get to know Jesus Christ. We do not truly become a disciple of Christ without the local church. Notice, it says in verse number 18, we're in Matthew 16:18. Matthew 16:18, that is on letter C in your notes. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, Peter means small rock, right? Little stone. Thou art Peter and upon this rock, this rock meaning this large, gigantic boulder, right? He's making a word contrast here. He's saying, I am the big, gigantic rock that church is going to be built upon. Peter, you're just a little rock. That's what he's saying, uh, this, the, the Catholics use this verse to prove that Peter was the first pope, which is not true, <laughs> okay? Um, and it says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, this truth, Jesus Christ himself is the rock, that I will build my church. He says, I will build my church. And then he says, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He builds his church, and he, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is not, that promise is not given to the individual Christian. The gates of hell will not prevail against me. The safety against Satan is found in a local body of believers. That's where safety is found. That's where safety is found. I will build my church. I want to be built up in the faith. That's what the church is for. Thank the Lord I'm not responsible for building myself up. The church does that. Walking outside of regular church attendance and fellowship is walking in darkness. Okay, letter A. It is important to have a personal walk with Christ. However, God did not design the Christian life to be done alone. Praise the Lord. Every time the Bible talks about someone being alone, right? They always talk about the the lone sheep that's off by themselves. That's always talking about danger, 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 danger. But isn't it funny that when somebody doesn't go to church, they consider themselves really strong? I don't go to church. I know everything. Now, pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Right? Um, letter B The church is always referred to as a local assembly. Let me uh, read some, some verses here. Uh, it is important to have a person... Here we go. I have more notes on my little iPad here than, than you have because I couldn't fit them all on there, right? I would have to use like font number three and you, would, you couldn't or it'd be pages and pages. The word church can refer to all the Christians across the entire world in scripture for we are all united in what we call the body of Christ. You became a part of that church that body of believers and you accepted Christ. But understand the word church means assembly. So when we're talking about, well, I'm saved, so I'm a member of the church. Really, we're technically, we're a member of the family of God right here on earth, okay? So when, in this particular sense, when he says, I will build my church, Jesus is talking about all the believers, okay? So in that sense, we're all a part of the church. However, scripturally, when it's describing a church, it's always talking about you know, a local assembly. So right sometimes obviously in the first couple of chapters of the book of acts when it's saying the church there was one the church at jerusalem there was only one church so few times in scripture when it's talking about church it's talking about all believers but the vast majority of times the word church is found 127 times and all but two or three of those times it's used in a local context this church the church at ephesus the church at philippi the church at corinth and so on and so forth So that's why we believe as independent Baptist, as Baptist, that we should be a member of a local church. When we're talking about, I will build my church and God will protect me. And some people have this theological idea. Well, I'm saved and I'm a part of the church. So I don't actually have to go to church because I'm a part of the church. So wherever I am, I am in the church because I am in the church. That breaks down really quick because, again, the word church means assembly. ecclesia, right? The Greek word means assembly. So technically, in order for us to be an active member of the church, we need to be assembling with the local expression of the body of Christ. Okay. And so that's why the statement is given here. B, the church is always referred to as a local assembly. God wants us to connect to him through a local assembly. So technically, when the word church is used, it's either used in, as in Matthew 16 here, he is referring to all believers from his perspective. And then sometimes it's referred to as the church, as in all the believers one day in heaven. But the vast majority of time, it's talking about a local assembly. So when we read the word church, In the scripture, it's important to read the context, but 99% of the time we can just automatically think it's talking about a local assembly here. Okay. We must find a church home, a place where you will be fed from God's word and given spiritual instruction where you can worship and pray with other believers and where you will be able to serve with the gifts and abilities God has given you. It is simply not an option, but a true spiritual necessity. That is, if you want to grow spiritually. Note, growth involves change. Church changes you, shapes you, and conforms you into a selfless, loving, Christ-honoring member of something greater than yourself. Letter C, the church is the only organization that Jesus himself established. Regular involvement in a church and fellowship with other believers are vital building blocks to your Christian faith. As you go into a church and find your place in it, you can then give to others what God has given to you. God is worshiped in a gathering of believers. Viewing online is watching others worship. I'm watching others worship. Worship is in person and local. Okay? You need the church and the church needs you. You need the church and the church needs you. Without the church, you will not grow spiritually as you should. Again, if we want to think about the digital, the digital revolution that has happened, especially over COVID. In the context of scripture, the idea of digital was just not even, right? So when he's talking about the church, he's not talking about the church gathering online, even though for a period you know, because of all the rules and stuff, that's kind of the best we could do. But you guys remember when we finally got to come together, it's just, it's just not the same. I remember one time back in the day, uh, April and I went to a Christmas. um, It was like a Christmas kind of a symphony, like an in-person symphony hall kind of deal in Arkansas, the Little Rock Symphony Orchestra, I think. And uh, they did all these Christmas songs, you know, sacred, secular. And we got the balcony seats because we're rich. We were up there. And it wasn't a huge hall. We're you know, really good acoustics. And I'm a vocal guy, right? So it's really hard for me to hear a song that I know and not sing along, right? Which gets embarrassing when you're in the mall. I'm just kidding. You know, <laughs> and uh, um if you've never seen or if you've never heard a live performance of people that can play really well and there's a whole collection and the room is just filled with the music and you just – you feel the vibrations of these instruments. It's just – it's incredible. I can't imagine being the guy leading the thing and just being like – it changes from something that you're listening to listening to, to something that you are – it's an experience. And as much as the headphone people want to say, oh, no, it's just live. It's just like it's live. It's not the same. Right? Because you don't, you don't feel it in your toes the way, you, when you're in person. I could have listened to the same track, hour, two hours, however long it was. It would have been less embarrassing for my wife because I, I was a little vocal, but they threw me in the balcony, so it was okay. Um. But you, could, you can listen, you can listen, and it's like, okay, that's nice. And even get like the good quality and, and turn it up, and it's good, and you're fine. Right? And we've all seen those people that have the headphones on, and they're dancing down the sidewalk. <laughs> and it's like, oh. But if you're there, it's, it's something totally different. Listening to a recording of something doesn't change you near as much, if at all. But when you're in person, you're experiencing it together. Uh, I enjoy watching soccer. You may have a sport that you enjoy watching or something else that you enjoy. I've seen however many dozens and dozens of soccer games on TV. But I remember exactly the several I've been to in person. And it was an experience. God does not want us to think that somehow He is a God that is afar off. He wants us to know that He is close and He is here and He is near. So many people choose to remain angry, cynical, lonely, distant, because they just don't go to church. There's no connection. There's no connection. The word fellowship means connection. We connect with each other and we connect with God. And there is something that is life-giving when we connect to one another and we're in a church where we can connect with God and to his word. The church needs you. You need the church. Without the church, you will not grow spiritually as you should, four points. Why is church important? We're going to look at these points, but we're going to kind of follow a little bit of a journey of the great apostle Paul. He was not always the great apostle Paul. Let's go to Acts chapter number seven. We're just going to go over, just not, we're not going to deep dive on this. We're just going to go over these quick points. We've got about 15, 20 minutes left. So many people are, they, they, they're, perhaps they're born again, they're saved. Perhaps they've been baptized. But they still lack, they still lack a deep connection to their purpose. Why am I here? What am I doing with my life? That purpose is found in the church. God will teach you your purpose. Doesn't necessarily mean that the only only purpose you have is to serve in the church, but this this is where God begins to speak to us. This is where God really begins to grow us to the point where it's like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Guys, I would not be standing before you were it not for the local church. People don't find their calling and their missionary for myself being called to be a missionary. You don't find that somewhere. You find it in, in church. This is where God works and this is where he moves. This is the vehicle. So Acts chapter number seven. This is the, the story of the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Um, and that was the stoning of Stephen. And I'm looking for the verse where they laid down there. Ah, oh, here it is. Right. Verse 58. Uh, and they cast him out. They cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Now, Saul was his Hebrew name. Later, he became known as Paul. That was his, that was his Gentile name or Greek name. Um, but this is our first introduction to this person here. When we look at this little snapshot in his life, where he has authority, he's not the one throwing the rocks. He's the one standing back and approving. He's not just a casual bystander, okay? You look at someone like that and you think, this is the guy that wrote most of the New Testament by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How is this possible? How did he go from being that to this? By the way, how long did it take from the time he got saved to the time he was actually sent out as a missionary? Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Okay. Uh, And let's flip over to chapter 9. This is the account of Paul's conversion. Still using the name Saul and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now he was persecuting the church, but Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Remember the church is the body of Christ. His spirit dwells in the church. Why are you persecuting me? Verse five. And he said, Lord, who art thou? By the way, when one part of the body hurts, the other part knows and it kind of treats it nicely. Okay? Listen, when 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 there is a Christian that's living outside and they won't come into the local expression of the body of Christ, there is no one there to show them compassion and say, "I see your hurt. I see your struggle. Let's gather around and help. Let's help this wounded member." They're by themselves. We see that? Does Jesus is Jesus concerned about those who persecute his church? Yes. Is a person who is a Christian but outside church attendance? Do they feel the compassion of Christ if they're not coming? Not the same. It's certainly not the same. Uh, Verse five. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The prick here is uh, the little stick that they would use to goad the animals. Right? Long, sharp, pointy stick. boink, boink, and get the animal to go. That was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When Saul was trying to arrest all these Christians, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. He was convicted by the Holy Spirit when he saw Stephen being stoned and his testimony for Christ and his spirit of forgiveness. Verse six, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Notice he goes from being this zealot. By the way, God can save religious zealots. God could, picture a Hamas kind of a person here. Amen. Amen. Now, he was Jewish, but picture a a, a zealot Zionist that just wants to go and just kill all the enemies or whatever religion or whatever uh, nationality, somebody that's just so zealous for their country and for their religion that they're willing to hunt people down and kill them. That's what he was. That's what he was. These people can be saved. When we're praying for the situation over in Hamas and Israel and Let's pray that they would be saved. This guy was one of the key people persecuting Christians at the time. Listen, the goal is not for the persecution to stop. The goal is for people to be saved. God does not want us to pray for this world to just be a nicer place to die and go to hell from. He wants people to be saved. People were praying for Paul. Matter of fact, Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, was praying, Father, forgive them, just as Jesus did. He prayed for his persecutors. What wilt thou have me to do? Man, he needed a purpose in life. God's purpose was not just for him to be saved. He had a grand purpose in his life. We'll find it in just a few minutes. Uh, a few seconds as we go to the to the next couple of verses. And the men which stood with, uh, sorry, verse seven. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and said, and to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called straight, and inquire in the house of Judah, in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priest, to bind all that call in His name. Listen, God used the vehicle of the church to change Saul. We'll continue to follow that. Also to change Ananias. He was a disciple. He was one of the disciples. He was one of the followers at Damascus. Pastor, I want to change, but I don't seem to be able to change. I can't grow past this fear. I can't find my purpose. I know this is going to sound trite. I know it's going to sound silly. But we need to go to church. We need to go to church. Oh, it can't be that simple. Thankfully, God gives us simple commands to follow. He gives us simple commands to follow. Things we can do. Oftentimes we think, no, no. Tell me to do something gigantic. Well, he, he might give you something large to do, but first he's gonna give you something small to do, like go to church, okay? But the Lord said in him, verse 15, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Now, Paul didn't know this yet. This was his destiny. Again, we're gonna use that word, not a Bible word. This was God's purpose for his life. This was God's plan for his life. But he needed a more, He needed a more mature disciple of Christ to come into his life and come and find him when he's blind in his room. Go and get them. Go find them. Shoot them a text message. Go and get a coffee with them. Go do something that they like to do. Pickleball apparently is a big thing. I was in the sports store the other day. You know how much pickleball rackets are? Oh my goodness. 150 bucks for this. You gotta be kidding me. No, maybe those are the fancy ones. I didn't buy one, don't worry. Saul just had, he was saved. Wasn't, hadn't been baptized yet. Physically blind, okay? But he's just sitting there. No purpose. Listen, when you get saved, your purpose changes. (laughs) Amen. Your purpose changes. But you don't know. You don't don't know how to find it. Now, listen, don't go up to somebody in the church. Oh, God spoke to me in a vision. and This is what you need to do with your life. Oh, well, maybe not. Maybe we'll let the Lord speak to them. Now, remember, Acts is a transitional book. So some of the things we have to unpack carefully. But the fact that another more mature disciple is coming to a new convert. Um, We were at a meeting a couple, last week, missions conference at Faithway on Friday and somebody had a little infant there. It was like this big. Not really, but it felt like that. (laughs) Like you know, you have kids, and you may you just you just forget how small they're so small, so small. You hold it in your arm. I mean, at least for most men, it's like the ba- the head's here and the feet are here, and they're all curled up like a frog. You know, <laughs> cutest. So, like, I mean, help, guys, helpless, cute, sweet. Somebody gets saved, friend. They need a loving church family to look at them the way we would look at an infant. They are a babe in Christ. How are they going to find their purpose? How are they going to learn to walk? How are they going to learn to feed themselves? It's not, listen, it's not some grown, full-grown adult that's chewing on a piece of steak and eating a big potato and saying, if you're hungry, just eat it. (laughs) It's having the heart of Christ. It's what Jesus said to the apostle Peter, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Learning to feed baby Christians and be a disciple, or we have some in this room, and you're helping newer believers. What a joy, honestly. What, what a joy. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. That lady was holding a little baby, and I stuck out my finger. I just wanted to, I wanted to touch it. Yeah, you are with babies. You just want to touch and see how soft they are and how tiny they are. And you, 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 know, you stick your hand right next to their finger. Don't worry, we're not going to have another kid. I'm just, I I appreciate it when we're there. I appreciate it when we're there, right? It's not going to happen. Not outside of divine intervention, right? And and, And the little tiny, tiny hand wraps around your finger, right? When you're discipling somebody, you're taking that little baby hand in faith and you're helping them to wrap their faith around the hand of God. There's nothing like it. That doesn't happen outside of the church. Learning to do that. The Apostle Paul said in the book of Hebrews, when at time you ought to be teachers. But now you've got somebody that, and this is a paraphrase, that I'm, I'm having to teach you the first oracles of God. I'm having to, we've got to grow past baby food. Why? Because somebody needs for us to grow up so that we can then give them baby food. What a joy. What a joy. The exercise of faith we see here in Ananias. He's praying. God's speaking to him. You got to go get him. You know what? I'm pretty sure that's not going to work out if I shot them a text. I'm pretty sure if I reached out to them... They're going to bite my head off. Except here, Paul actually, like, you know, before he actually, he actually did. It was dangerous reaching out to him. God said, no, I've got a plan for his life. But Paul didn't know that. He needed a mature disciple to go get him. Let him know you're not alone. Come on, let's go. Let's go, buddy. Go thy way for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Listen, God told somebody else that about Paul before he told Paul. And oftentimes when somebody places a specific call on somebody's life, the mature leadership and those of maturity in the church will recognize that call on somebody else's life before they will. Oftentimes, I'm pretty sure that young person's called. I'm pretty sure that young man's called to preach. I'm pretty sure that. Amen. Amen. Verse 17, Ananias went his way, entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, brother Saul. Wow. That was, a, that was an act of faith right there, friend. A couple of days ago, He was coming to that town to hunt down Ananias. Three days later, because of salvation, he's saying, Brother Saul, as in like question mark, Brother Saul, you sure you're saying? I'm trusting you, Jesus, right now. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared. He's being specific. that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Listen, look at, look at the mature believer did for this young. He encouraged him. He encouraged him. He told him, hey, based on your testimony, this is what I see. By faith, I'm calling you brother Saul. I believe in Jesus, I'm a brother. You believe in Jesus, you're a brother. Come on now. What happened? Well, the scales fell from his eye. This is something that we as, we as believers in the New Testament age do for young, new converts. We call them brother and sister. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We call them, that's where we get it from. Is it commanded? No, but I kind of like it. Amen. And we help them to see that God has a plan for their life. A few more verses. The four points are just easily read and seen after we look at the verses. So it won't take long for us to to see them. Verse 19. When he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. He's with the disciples. He was at the church. He was with them. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound into the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Notice it says in uh, verse 26, They tried to kill him, by the way, Uh, not the disciples of Christ, obviously, but the enemies, the same people he used to work with. uh, Killers were going to (laughs) kill. He used to be a murderer, working with murderers, and then he switched sides. And now they're like, yeah, we're going to murder you. You're next, buddy. Verse 26, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed or attempted to join himself to the disciples. They were all afraid of him. Believe not that he was a disciple. Oh man, look at verse 27. Verse 27, we need a whole church full of Barnabases. Remember the calling, the destiny that Ananias said. You see that? Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. You see that? Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Rejected by some, rejected. But here's a disciple that sees the rejection and knows that he needs a mentor. This is the great apostle Paul. One day he's going to preach the the word of God and start churches all over the Roman Empire. But when he first started out, baby Christian, blind, needed somebody to trust the Lord and come and get him. It was the church that did that. It was God working in the church, in the group of disciples. And then he tries to go to the church at Jerusalem and they're like, whoa, nope. He had one that come, that Barnabas came and got him. We see in Acts 11 and verse 25, there was a time when Paul went back to Tarsus. Of course, that's where he was originally from. That's where he spent much of his life. He called himself Paul or Saul of Tarsus. Acts 11:25. 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul when he had found him he brought him unto Antioch to the church at Antioch let me say that Okay, Look, Barnabas is always going and getting Saul somewhere well you, you, that's Christian work friends now, the fish are always trying to you go fishing for men they're always trying to flop back out of the boat amen go get them You may have a, well, why didn't pastor do it? Guys, I try. And and some people I have that connection with. But the fact is, is that God uses the church. It could be that you have a special connection with somebody. You can call them up. You may have free time that I don't have and vice versa. We together, Oh, where's that one person? Why why don't you try to reach out to them? Yeah. Try. Hey, missed you. Hey, you have time for a coffee this week? No, Don't. Where were you? I thought you were safe. Where are you at? Maybe take, remember, the baby, the little baby approach. Why are you spitting up? What is wrong with you? Ah, Calm down. Don't scream at the infant. We call that abuse. <laughs> and rightfully so, right? Amen. Let's be patient. Let's be calm. What happens? Barnabas keeps going to find him. What, and, and, and what does he do? He brings him back to the church. He's out of the church, bringing him back to church. This happens several times. And then finally we can see in the, in the story of, of Saul turning into Paul. Eventually the church says, hey, Barnabas and Saul, since you guys are always together, here, you go and do this job. You go take this relief money here. You go and do this. You go and do that. Then we find in Acts 13 and verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch. Oh, there it is. Who was there? Well, we're going to see. Certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, he was in the list, verse two, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, said to who? separate me Barnabas and Saul. He said to the church, who recognized the call of God on Paul's life, the church did. As the church fasted and prayed, God worked in the church and said, separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work that I have called. This is the first, this first official missionaries being sent out of the church at Antioch. Does anybody know how many years it was from his conversion to the time he was sent out? Andre? thirteen. Fourteen. I just mentioned this in my class in Bible college, that's why I'm testing him. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. For sure. He wasn't saved and then all of a sudden now he's doing incredible missionary work. He needed time to mature in the faith. He was not a novice. The Apostle Paul needed a church family to come and get him and help him mature. Until finally, now he is. He's on his way doing his destiny that God has called him to do. We need the church. You need the church, and the church needs you. Let's pray. Father, we thank for this opportunity, Lord, to be in church, to experience your word together and your spirit together. I pray that we would be committed to not only attend, but to be involved, as involved as possible, that we would grow and that we would look for opportunities to serve one another by love, the way Barnabas And Ananias served Paul. Thank you for your kindness. Bless the remainder of our day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and take the stuff off the tables. We'll break down the tables and put them out in the hall. And we'll get ready for the next service. Thank you.